Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Tonight, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor. We're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, tonight at 9, 8 central on CBS. For over a year, BuzzFeed News reporters Anthony Cormier and Jason Leopold had been reporting on President Trump and his campaign's ties to Russia, breaking major stories and trying to follow the money. We had both been fantasizing about this mother load. I just remember Anthony was like, oh my God, oh my God. They'd received thousands of secret government documents that revealed that banks all over the world had moved money for terrorists and criminals and drug dealers. And the U.S. government knows about it. We see actual human beings pulling the levers that allow this sort of criminal misconduct to go on. I'm Azine Gureshi. Join me for our new podcast, Suspicious Activity, Inside the FinCent Files. We'll dive into the story these secret documents tell and take you behind the scenes with my colleagues at BuzzFeed News as they reported it. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Find it on Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. Let's, uh, let's go there then. I, I think of the team, of those two that have a better shot at, Mo- at Milwaukee, I think it's Boston. I think Boston's got a better shot because you can throw Brown on Giannis. You can throw Tatum on Giannis for a little bit. And you can throw maybe Marcus. Uh, Marcus Smart might be the best defender, uh, probably is the best defender on that team. He's one of the most relentless defenders in the NBA. I think that's the guy you probably key in on Giannis at that point. So. With all that said, I feel like Boston's got a legitimate shot. Maybe not to upset Milwaukee, but I think they take them deep. And I think they have a much better opportunity than Toronto. Sports Radio FNZ, that was Adam Amin on with us yesterday of Fox Sports. Breaking down who had the best chance to upend Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference. And he mentioned Boston, and and Boston did their part last night in game one of their series with Philadelphia. Gain the 109-101 win over uh, the 76ers. Jason Tatum had a great game, 32 points. Kemba Walker still still coming back from the knee injury. Wasn't great from the outside. Kind of having a little bit of a rust there, but 19 points in the win. His first playoff win since 2016, Game 5 of the first-round series against Miami, if you guys remember that. And, Josh, I, I just kept thinking, watching Kemba and Donovan Mitchell last night, this is just the tip of the iceberg for Hornets fans. I think Kemba's going to be in the playoffs for a while, and it wouldn't surprise me. I know they lost game one. It wouldn't surprise me if Donovan Mitchell was also, uh, you know, the pick that could have been in the playoffs for a while, too. Yeah, if, if you're a Hornets fan, it, it's pretty painful to be watching some of these playoff games because, you know, a lot of guys that could have been playing for Charlotte now should have been playing for Charlotte for the last few years are dominating in, in other cities and, and making big plays in, in crunch time and playoff games. Donovan Mitchell put up the third most points in NBA history in a playoff game 
yesterday against Denver. Now it was in a losing effort and he made the biggest mistake of the game uh, with an eight second violation up four with a minute 45 to go that Denver hit a three on the next possession and then was able to tie it and send it to overtime and win easily. You know, a lot of that falls on Donovan Mitchell for making that play uh, or making that mistake that lost him the game. But either way, Donovan Mitchell dropped 57 on the Nuggets, man. Like, Donovan Mitchell could have been a Hornet. He's not. He was drafted a couple spots after Malik Monk. That's a shame. Uh, and no disrespect to Monk, but Donovan Mitchell has cemented himself as a bona fide all-star. He's a lead guard on a team that has been a playoff mainstay since he's been there. They're going to continue to be a playoff mainstay so long as they're able to keep him and Gobert together. Uh, obviously, they've got a contract deal with the Gobert to address, but... You know, Donovan Mitchell watching him, that, that, that's that got to be disheartening for Hornets fans because he could have been the guy. Watching Devin Booker in the bubble light up, uh, light it up for Phoenix going 8-0. Devin Booker could have been a Charlotte Hornet. He was drafted four spots after Frank Kaminsky, uh, you know, four or five years ago. So, handful of guys. Then, of course, you know, Kemba, a little bit different, but I, I, I'm just happy for Kemba. I know it, 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 I wish that he was doing it in Charlotte. But I love the fact that Kemba is able to play with a team where Jason Tatum can drop 32, where Jalen Brown can drop 29, and he's got real-life playoff-caliber wings around him, guys that can carry the load on the offensive end. So even when Kemba is not you know, necessarily going for 30 in a given night, his team can still win. And, and I thought Boston offensively last night was as good as they've been all season. Yeah, I mean, I think if we get into to Boston's uh, you know, real chances of, of winning the championship – you're going to have to see a little bit more from Kemba, but considering, you know, the minutes restrictions and the fact we didn't see Kemba every single night in the bubble, uh, I thought last night was encouraging. And listen, the, the Celtics, you heard Adam Amin say it, uh, the Celtics have a big three, right? They're, they're not, they might not be uh, the big three we're accustomed to. They might not be all superstars or thought of as superstars yet, but Kemba, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum are really really good and this team has length around Kemba they've got shooting around Kemba they got guys who you can put in the same backcourt or around him that can take some of the pressure off of him like it is a testament to Boston that they don't need Kemba to be Kemba yet something like let's put this in in Charlotte if this was a Hornet series they would you would you would constantly need Kemba to be a hundred percent him at 70 percent or 80 percent or coming off you know some some knee soreness you, this it would have been a wash last night for for what Kemba was used to playing around. The the most important number in the game last night for Kemba Walker is thirty five, and that's the number of minutes that he played. And he played well in those thirty five minutes. He he wasn't vintage Kemba going for forty points, but he's not going to do that every night. And the way Boston has built that team, it's really not going to ask Kemba Walker to do that on many nights. They're going to let Tatum do a lot of the heavy lifting. And Jalen Brown was spectacular last night. But the fact that Kemba played thirty five minutes, which is his most minutes since they returned to Orlando, that's encouraging to me. Kemba didn't show any signs of fatigue. He was good down the stretch. Boston was really really good in the final few minutes of that game. I mean, Philadelphia went on a huge run at the end of the third quarter in this game, took a lead. I want to say they were up, I think, six on Boston, at either late in the third, early in the fourth, and Boston had to come back. They did it with that great lineup. I had someone who uh, inside the NBA who texted me last night and said, Boston has five players right now who are better than anybody on Charlotte. And he's probably not wrong. Now, bad news for Boston. Gordon Hayward is now out for four weeks. He sprained his ankle in last night's game. And just just add to the list of just bad news for that guy that he continues to deal with injuries. And now he's going to miss, 
I mean, he he might. I, I would assume four weeks. I mean, you think about it. That that could be the entire first two rounds of the playoffs. Maybe even into a potential conference final. So that's a big loss. I think for Boston, the one thing that that well, two things that would worry me. A can Kimball Walker stay healthy throughout this series and then be healthy for Toronto, which I think could be the best series of the entire playoffs. Boston Toronto is going to be amazing in round two. But then B. They need a big that can space the floor because the Sixers are beat up a little bit and defensively they're not great without Ben Simmons. Joel Embiid was just roaming the paint last night when Tice was hanging around the outside. He was one of five from three. They're going to let him do that every single possession. If Tice wants to stand outside the three-point line and run dribble handoffs, Philadelphia is not going to be scared of that. But if the if Boston had, like Al Horford, who's playing on Philly and is not the guy that he, he's clearly declined player, but if they could have, just give me Al Horford from two years ago. <laughs> And put him in this year's Boston team, they would be unstoppable. They just—they're missing that one ingredient on offense with a big who can space the floor and give them more driving lanes. Joel Embiid was able to park in the paint last night and force them to settle for some more jump shots. They hit him last night and it worked. I think they win this series. But Philadelphia beat themselves. Joel Embiid had 15 shots. Joel Embiid had fewer shots than Josh Richardson last night. He had the same number of shot attempts as Alec Burks. That's not going to get it done for Philadelphia. I thought that was a horribly coached game by the Sixers. They lost it as much as Boston won it. You know, we started this uh, this with uh, the clip of Adam Amin saying that that he thinks the Celtics can make a run in Milwaukee. I, I think it's interesting. I, I do think, he, he also said yesterday, that the Clippers are the deepest team in the league. I think the Celtics, I, I know it's going to be tested with Gordon Hayward being out, and I know if Kemba has to miss any time, it's going to be tested even further. But I, I like the Celtics' depth if Kemba can stay healthy. And if you, if hypothetically, you can get into the Eastern Conference Finals and, and you can get Gordon Hayward back, I really like the idea of a team with this kind of depth going up against a team with Giannis and having to go toe-to-toe. I love the challenges that they can they can really present for Milwaukee. And it's going it, to, what it will come down to is can Chris Middleton and can Eric Bledsoe and can the other Bucks can can they be the difference maker? If not, I don't listen. I think this. I don't think this is just about the the Bucks. I think the the Celtics can get to the finals this year. They're gonna need a little bit more health. They're probably gonna need a little bit of luck. But I really do think the world of this team. Yeah, you know, d- depth wise. <laughs> I don't know how deep they really are. I mean, obviously, as you mentioned, without Gordon Hayward, it's it's a little bit tougher because now they're even thinner in that front court. And you're going to have to rely on a rookie in Grant Williams, who he didn't really play last night. He played two minutes. He, he essentially was was not a factor. Uh, Ennis Cantor is a guy who can play. But if you're playing Cantor, you're not playing Cantor with Daniel Tice. They're basically rotating those guys underneath. I actually like the minutes they got from Robert Williams. But you start to get a little deeper. They basically have six guys, six and a half, if you count Cantor, that I really trust. You take Gordon Hayward away, it's down to five. Uh, Smart is one of the best defenders in the game, and I actually like the idea of Smart guarding Giannis a lot in a potential Eastern Conference Finals. I think Smart's physicality and his relentlessness could really frustrate Giannis, but you get Smart into foul trouble, and then you have to turn to Jalen Brown or or even maybe Tatum, and asking them to guard Giannis is going to be really, really tough and taxing on them when you need so much out of them on the other side of the ball. So I still think Milwaukee should be the favorite. Uh, in a series against Boston, but I like what I like what Adam had to say because I, I'm certainly rooting for Kemba. 
I hope that Kemba can stay healthy and give you 35 minutes a night, and he, he doesn't have to go back onto some sort of restriction because the knee isn't holding up for you know a, a full allotment of minutes. But uh, Boston's got a good team. The Hayward injury, I think, is going to really, really hurt them uh, because I don't know that I trust a lot of the depth in their front court, especially if they were to go up. Honestly, it could hurt them against Toronto, too, because they've got good bigs. But uh, going up against Milwaukee is going to be really tough. The, the, the Bucks are the best team in the Eastern Conference, and they have been all season outside of a handful of games in Orlando. Going from the remorse of Kemba uh, to to the draft remorse with Donovan Mitchell, I I did see more than one Hornets fan last night, and this is on social media, so it's not the greatest encompasser of takes ever, call Donovan Mitchell the biggest miss the Hornets had in the draft over the last 10 years. I would, I would listen, it is a huge miss, and I think Donovan Mitchell is fantastic, and I think he's going to be one of the best players in the NBA over the next decade. But I think when you go, if the ultimate goal was to keep Kemba and to win with Kemba as much as possible and potentially try and get another really good player here, I think there are other moves that could have benefited the Hornets. I think Bradley Beal in 2012 and having Beal and Kemba alongside each other for eight years could have been a difference maker. I even think Devin Booker, you know, back in in, uh, in 2015, if you had... Devin Booker is kind of the perfect guy to play next to Kemba Walker with his ability to shoot, with his other abilities that he brings to the table, with a little bit of length, or with a little bit of length around Kemba could have taken massive, massive amount of pressure off Kemba and allowed Kemba to even be a more impactful, efficient player. Yeah, you give me any one of those three, any one of them. They had three chances in the last decade to draft two guards that could have played beside Kemba Walker and been amongst the best backcourts in the league. I think all of them that would have fit very well beside him. They're all a little bit different. Donovan Mitchell is the best athlete of the group. He's the best natural playmaker of the group. And then you have, you know, Bradley Beal, who's the best shooter of the group is the, the most true shooting guard. He is a shooting guard. He's not a ball handler. He's not a creator, but he's a shot maker. And, and he's a great shooter. Devin Booker came into the league as a bit of a shooter, but had some point guard in him, had some playmaking in him. And he's really developed into the true one in, in Phoenix. Probably wouldn't do that if he was playing beside Kemba. He would be more of a, that true, you know, secondary guard being off the ball. And I, I imagine he probably would be more like Clay Thompson, which is the guy that he was compared to when he got into the league. But I would take any one of those three, man. I mean, you look at, you know, drafting Malik Monk over Mitchell, uh, when there was actual split in the room. That's why I look at that one and I think of it maybe as the biggest mistake simply because I think it was the one that they truly debated the most. Michael K. Gilchrist at the time was viewed as a true legitimate number two pick. Now it's, it's crazy to look back on that now and think what the heck was everybody thinking, but Michael K. Gilchrist was a bona fide number two prospect coming out in 2012 behind Davis. People really liked Beal, but there was some division on Beal I, I liked him myself, but I know there was some division on Beal as a prospect. So I get why they, they took MKG, but it was a disaster from the start. Kaminsky, most people wanted Justice Winslow. The B- Booker wasn't really the guy that most people were clamoring for. He went four picks later. Monk and Donovan Mitchell, that was a decision that changed the course of this franchise from the head coach to the front office. And and now you're sitting here watching Donovan Mitchell drop 57 in the playoffs. Him and Kimba Walker next to one another would have been scary. And Kimba Walker would still be a Hornet today. Kimba gets his first playoff win since 2016. Donovan Mitchell drops 57 uh, what is uh, is Donovan Mitchell the Hornets' biggest draft miss of the last 10 years here? All Texas Hour, courtesy of the Building Center. All tweets, courtesy of Diamonds Direct. And uh, I was called out 
and uh, I was treated unfairly, and I will be avenged. Next on Sports Radio FNZ. FNZ. Live from Charlotte every weekday and now heard around the world on the radio.com app. It's the Mac Attack. This is Sports Radio FNZ. Sports Radio FNZ. Welcome back to Wilson and Parcel. I'm still Nick. He's still Josh. We're friends with the Mac Attack, right, Josh? Love those guys. I mean, I Great feel dudes. like I feel like we did. You know, when we we're in middays, we were always supportive. We had some debates, but uh, you know, we, we were bros, right? That hasn't changed, correct? Yeah, love those guys. Okay. They're great, except for Preppy. Okay, yeah, no, he's still the worst. Even after what I'm about to say, he's still the worst. Well, uh, I was listening to our bros in the mornings today. I was like, I was just turning on. I was like, I wonder what my good friends Mac and T-Bone are talking about. And I heard them having a conversation about our conversation yesterday. And our conversation yesterday was about who is going to win more games of the next five years, uh, Ron Rivera or Matt Rule. And I said, Ron Rivera, for a myriad of reasons, and you leaned more towards Matt Rule. And and to be fair... I didn't I, lean. I jumped. Well, see, I'm, I, on, I'm, I, I'm on Matt Rule, baby. I Matt actually, Rivera. I, then I would say I lean towards Ron Rivera, as I think it's actually going to be fairly close. Uh, but... Oh, you're backtracking now. No. What's happening here? No, there's Come no on backtracking. You First off, Rivera I don't have yesterday. the foot speed. Well, yeah, I'm still all about Rivera, but I don't think it's the a, a wide gap between the two guys because they're both in pretty crappy situations. But I turned on the morning show, and this is what I heard my supposed friends ta- saying. Ron Rivera will be the eighth head coach that Daniel Steiger's had since he took over in 1999. He'll be the, they've had interim coaches, but in terms of like a, at least a season or more, Ron Rivera will be the eighth head coach. None of the coaches under Daniel Snyder have lasted more than five seasons. I, I, I've, I've said it all along. When he took the job, I said he shouldn't have taken it. And then when they had all that mess and all that uh, you know tumultuous stuff going on in the front office, I said again, Ron, why have you done this? Why have you taken this job? It is a place where coaching careers go to die. Like, and good coaches too. Mike Shanahan. Joe Gibbs Mike, Mike Shanahan. Joe Gibbs and Mike Shanahan failed there. Ron Rivera has final personnel say in Washington. I don't understand. Think I don't, about that. I, I don't get that. How dysfunctional are you when you give Ron Rivera personnel? But I feel like it's already been proven that Daniel Snyder self-sabotages his own organization to where I don't believe any coach can go in there and win. For Nick to say that R- Rivera wins more games in five years than Rule, I find it, it, it basically impossible that Rivera is there in five years. How dare he disagree with me on any opinion? Uh, no, they also made fun of me yesterday. I'd like to say, though, can, can anyone tell me one concrete thing about the Carolina Panthers? I mean, if we're, if we're just saying who's who's the better organization over the last 20 years, but, uh, absolutely, the, the Washington organization has been the worst organization. They've won less games. They have the worst owner. But can anyone tell me anything concrete about the Panthers organization right now? Well, I don't know that that's the point. I think the point is that we know in Washington that it's been a complete mess and that good coaches have been there before and it hasn't made a difference. They've I don't, also I don't think had it's, Bruce Allen and Vinny Serrato there who are no longer there. They had Dan Snyder's cronies in the front office and they're gone. Well, they were bad before Bruce Allen. Well, yeah, with that's Vinny Serrato. They, they're Vinny Serrato. They both were Dan Snyder sycophants who were in the front office who continuously did Dan Snyder's bidding instead of working with a head coach. Yeah, 
Yeah, sure. I mean, look, I, I think, again, the point is we know that Washington has been a bad organization for a long time. There have been other people that have come through there, executives, uh, players, uh, coaches, and it hasn't mattered. They've been bad. But and it's not about who they've been. It's about who they're going to be. And who they're going to be, they have Ron Rivera. Would would you say Ron Rivera is more proven as a head coach than Matt Rule is in the NFL? Yes. Okay, would you look at that roster and say right now Washington's roster stacks up better than Carolina's? Barely. I don't think it's barely. I think I think the only thing Carolina has on them is skill players. I think that's the only thing they have on them. Washington has a better defensive line. Linebackers are probably a push, but they have a better secondary, despite the fact that Washington's secondary isn't very good. Barely. Uh, yeah. Carolina's is awful. Uh, they have a better offensive line, and that's not by barely. That's by a fair amount. And that so they have that. They've got the better head coach. And, and now the thing that has held them back, Dan Snyder's uh, – do we think Dan Snyder's going to really be too invested in in, uh, in meddling over the next few years? Yeah. The guy's, yeah, fighting, <laughs> you know, the guy's fighting for his franchise right now. He might not even be there. I just think it's weird because my, my big thing is I'm not anti-Matt Rule. I'm not anti-Carolina Panthers. I'm not anti-anything here. I just look at the Panthers, and there's not one thing you can tell. I don't know who the hell Dave Tepper is after two years and whether he's going to be a good owner. I think we know what Marty Herney is, and that's not a positive uh, thing to know. I don't know if Matt Rule can coach at this level. I don't know if Teddy Bridgewater is going to be the quarterback in two years. And so all of these suppositions of the Panthers, people suppose, well, we'll either have Teddy or we're going to have a top three pick. Okay, maybe not, though. It, that's not a defined thing. It's not a definitive thing. You can end up with the fourth pick, and Teddy Bridgewater can still be proven as a stopgap guy. So, like, I, I just I look at the Panthers, and I just see a bunch of unknown. I would rather trust the proven coach in a situation where he's taken over that organization, for better or worse, that that guy can do something in an organization where now suddenly he actually has control, where he's succeeded with a bad owner before. Ron Rivera succeeded with an awful owner, a meddling owner in Jerry Richardson. Um, Matt Rule hasn't done anything in the NFL. That's not negative. It just is what it is. I don't know. Okay. When it comes to strictly operating a football team, I want to be very, very careful how I say this. Jerry Richardson was not a bad owner. Richardson was a bad owner for all for a myriad of other reasons, which everybody knows, and I don't need to explain. He fired but- his GM because he was making the right moves. Uh, uh, because Jay, no, because Dave oh, Gettleman didn't didn't want to re-sign two players that shouldn't have been well, re-signed. Do you think Gettleman is, is a, a great GM that they should have kept forever? That's not the point. The point is he fired the you don't you don't fire the GM because they're making moves that you want to make, which are uh, that was wrong the, moves. All right. That was the final straw of a laundry list of reasons why Gettleman had worn out his welcome in Carolina. Richardson has made mistakes. I'm not telling you that Richardson is George Hallis or something. But what I'm saying is he was well regarded as an owner in the NFL until a scandal exposed all sorts of other problems. And the 2010 season where basically he cut bait on the entire roster to save money during a lockout. Who's a better owner, Jerry Richardson or Dan Snyder? As a, as a, as a forgetting about the scandal. The, They're both bad. All right. Anyway, that's beside the point. Um, 
You're, Did Ron you, Rivera have success with a bad owner in Carolina? No, because Jerry Richardson was not a bad owner when it came to the actual football operations. He was a tolerable owner. He wasn't a great owner, but he was certainly better than the worst owners in the NFL. I would not call Jerry Richardson a bad owner. So specific to that, I got to be real careful. Keep repeating that because I don't think he was a good owner or a good person. But I think as an owner of the team and running a football franchise, two Super Bowl appearances, a couple of conference championships, and a bunch of winning seasons. I think makes him at least an average owner in the NFL. Playoff appearances in his what 20, 22 years as owner? Yes, of an expansion franchise. That's pretty good. Would you would you like me to tell you about the Jacksonville Jaguars and some of the other franchises that have started in the last twenty don't, years? Don't the Jaguars have as many playoff appearances as the Panthers? That's perfectly fine. I don't I don't think the Jaguars are the worst franchise in the NFL. What I'm telling you is that the the Panthers have been fine. Anyway, that is so beside the point. The point is that with the the future in Washington is so uncertain because ownership has been a disaster all along. It's the wor- it is arguably the worst owner in sports. Not just, oh, he's a bad owner. No, like this guy has been the most dysfunctional owner in the NFL, one of the most dysfunctional owners in all of sports, and now Ron Rivera is working for him. And oh, by the way, six months onto the job, here is this incredible scandal of a history of sexual harassment and racial in, uh, improprieties in your organization. I'm How not, about, can I'm, you take care I'm of that I'm not defending us? Dan Snyder. Okay. You can say he's the worst, and by the way, one of the worst, because Jimmy Haslam would like a word. I'm sure the Pagulas, despite the last year, would like a word as well. There are plenty of uh, Tennessee's owners despite the success they had last the, year wait, the Pagulas are, are, in, in Buffalo. They, they have not had a lot of success there, and there have been issues off the field. There are plenty of bad franchises in the NFL, but the, I'm not defending Dan Snyder's reign. I'm simply saying Ron Rivera is a proven commodity in a situation where the things that bogged down the situation previously are removed. Bruce Allen isn't there. Vinny Serrato isn't there. We, it stands to reason that Dan Snyder might not have any power or might have limited power with the with the, the, the issues that he's got going on with his minority owners trying to push him out. He's got bigger fish to That's fry. That's not happening. He's got, well, but he, the point is he's fighting a battle. They're not trying to push him out. They're trying to sell their stake in the team. No, they are. there's actually been reports that they're trying to get him to sell. They're trying to push him to sell the team, whether that's to them or to somebody else. So that, that is something that's happening. So Dan Snyder is trying to save his team. This is a time where they are in a better position with a better roster, where they do have a proven commodity. They have less questions than the Panthers. That's not saying a lot because they have a lot of questions, but I would at least take the proven commodity of Ron Rivera over a sea of unknown. We can't just hope and wish, and well, no, we can't hope, but we can't just assume it's all going to turn out correct here until I see it on the, the field. I don't have any expectations for Matt Rule. I've got a ton of faith in, in Carolina and Matt Rule, and I know it's going to take a little bit of time, but I think with with the, the, the background that Matt Rule has, as, as experience in college and being in the NFL and his reputation as a guy who can build programs and can keep players invested through a rebuild, I do trust that he's going to be able to get it done. But that's why it's he not got hired. Go- that doesn't mean anything about our our, fa- our our understanding that he's a slam dunk as head coach. There's no such thing if you've never coached a game in the NFL. Did I say the word slam dunk? Well, no, but the point okay. is, all the things that you just said are why he got hired, and they're all reasons to be optimistic. It doesn't mean that I'm putting a lot of stock into them because yeah. he's never coached a game in the NFL. What was the question? Who's I don't mo- remember who, anymore. Who, We've who, had a few questions here. Who, who is more likely to? Who, who is going to win more games in the next five years, Ron Rivera or Matt Rule? It's not which one of them is going to win a Super Bowl. It's not which one of them is going to win 14 games in a season. Which of them is going to have more success over the next five years? 
I believe it's more likely that Matt Rule, because of the the stability he has in the organization right now, because of the quarterback situation that he has, whether it's Bridgewater or potentially somebody new, because of the talent that the Panthers have on the roster and the salary cap space that they have moving forward, I believe that the Panthers are in a better position than Washington. I wouldn't want to be in either franchise's position. I would much rather be the Kansas City Chiefs. I would much rather be the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Baltimore Ravens, or any number of teams. But when we look at these two franchises who are among the bottom five in the league right now, and I look at the the, the entire picture of front office, ownership, young talent, and divisional competition, everything in between, when I take all of that into account, I think that Carolina, after what should be a, a tough two years, where I don't think they're going to win a ton of games, but after a tough two years, I imagine that the Panthers are going to be a playoff team or at least a very serious threat to make the playoffs two years from now. I look at what Washington has, and while I like some of the pieces on that team, there are plenty of players on that team who are nice, young, attractive prospects. I don't think that Washington is in a position in their division with everything else happening right now to be able to compete and be a playoff team. And I think Carolina has a better chance to do that than Washington. That's all. It's not about a guarantee they're going to do anything spectacular, but it's about who's more likely to be better. And I think for that, within that question, Carolina's in better shape. And I look more at the next two to three years for both franchises carolina's got the tougher road and i there there's no guarantee of anything in two to three years there is the guarantee that for the next year at least you've got new orleans you've got drew Brees, tom brady and matt ryan in your division probably two years from now you've still got tom brady and matt ryan in your division and who knows how long both guys are they could be here for three years and whereas in uh, the East, I think you have a little bit easier road to get back to competitiveness in an in a division where Carson Wentz might not be there next year, in a division where you do have the New York Giants who continue to be the New York Giants in front of you with a quarterback I don't think is going to be that good in Daniel Jones. I could be wrong on these things, but I just think the path of least resistance goes through Washington right now, and there's just more known in Washington than there uh, is here in Carolina, where it just feels like everything feels like a blank slate. It's tough to broadcast or to, to preview what we're going to be on a blank slate here. Uh, so uh, who is right and who is wrong? Is it Josh? No. Who is going to win more games over the next five years here? Uh, is it going to be Matt Rule in Carolina, or is it going to be Ron Rivera in Washington? And whether it's a good or bad thing usually depends on the situation, and the situation isn't great. Sports Radio FNZ. Definitely contagious, man. Um, you feel him wherever you are in the building, on the field. Uh, he's screaming. He's loud. He's running around. He's hooting and hollering. Sometimes he talks too much. But, um, <laughs> no, he's a guy, man. You know, he's a great motivator. And uh, he's getting the best out of everyone right now. Sports Radio FNC, that is Teddy Bridgewater, the Panthers' uh, new quarterback there on the Panthers' new head coach, Matt Rule. Uh, I think the next time we have Matt Rule on the show, we need to play that. Sometimes he talks too much clip for him. He likes to talk. He, he's a fast talker sometimes, especially when he gets nervous. He talks fast. Like, he, I don't know, when there's like a Cam Newton rumor or something. I don't know. He, uh, I, I feel like his talking has slowed since the first three months on the job. Like when he first, for instance, at, at, uh, at the Combine, 
it felt like he was trying to set the land speed record for words in a minute. And right, I, because he was lying. Well, yeah, but I, I don't feel that way as much anymore. I do love the idea that he is uh, that he is overly energetic at the uh, the practices here. Now, we, we do have to give you guys a camp update here as uh, this is a little bit of a to-do earlier today that the Panthers uh, were putting injured players in red jerseys. Now, this is a little differently. That's usually the, the, the color that a quarterback wears in practice. Matt Rule has switched that to green because green means go and red means stop. Or the, I'm, I'm paraphrasing what he said the other day in practice. The interesting thing is he put them in red number one jerseys. And there is at least one host on the station who happens to be in the morning and have the name Mac uh, who who is uh, who has kind of raised his eyebrows that that could be a shot at Mac or at Cam? Yeah, this is dumb. Like this is this is more dumb. We we should have a daily segment about dumb training camp takes. Yesterday it was the green jerseys and Matt Rule tackling inanimate objects, and today it's the number on the jersey they're wearing for injured players. I mean, if you're getting worked up over that, I mean, hey, you know what though? At least sports are back. I'll say that. At least sports are back, and we can argue about dumb stuff like what number the injured players are wearing during training camp. I, I mean, I love it. Bring at least at least we got football. How are how long are we going to carry the at least sports are back mantra? Like, are we going to carry this into November if the Panthers are like zero and ten? Are we just, are we gonna is that ooh is that gonna be the rallying cry for the Panthers this year, Josh? At least sports are back. It, it, it's as good as something. Back. Sports, sports is back. Well, you'll Might hear have that. To be. You'll hear that from the uh, from the 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 booth up there. If, if they allow media, I'll be up there in the booth chanting "Sports is back." Also, I think the other funny part of this is to assume that this is somehow a shot at Cam Newton is to then assume that Matt Rule is the pettiest individual on the planet. And if if Matt Rule is that petty about a guy who he cut and moved off of, I would be really concerned that Matt Rule's going to last here for too long in the NFL. No, this is this is dumb. This is not a thing. Like this stopped is Mac I don't know. Is Mac trying to make this a thing? How did he even talk about this? Wasn't this later in the day? It, no, is he, 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 he tweeting about yeah, it. He was tweeting about oh, it. Come on, Mac. Go 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 watch your kids or something. Go play Fortnite. Go work on your Madden skills. Like if you're going to start working up a lather over the number they're wearing on the jersey, you you need to you need to calm down. Put the phone down for 2 seconds. It no look, it is probably a poor decision by the Panthers. I don't care about it. I don't think it was intentional, but maybe just avoid putting uh, the number of your most popular player ever, who you just so happened to cut a couple months ago after he was injured and putting those numbers on an injured player. It's not the smartest move in the world, but no, it wasn't done intentionally. Come on guys. I think we have a cam spiracy. Is that, is that your, is that your official take now? Yeah. Oh man. I think we have a cam spiracy again. I thought we were done with those. I don't know. It feels right. Doesn't it feel like this is something we could give into? I mean, does Matt Rule, did he not watch the tape last year? Does he not recognize the jersey number of one Cam Newton, former, formerly of the Carolina Panthers? Maybe he just forgot. I like mine better that he didn't forget. <laughs> No, this is ridiculous. This is silly. This better be at least 20 minutes on Mac's show tomorrow. I better hear this because, be. <laughs> because he tweeted. There were multiple tweets about this. And, and God love Mac. 
But if you're going to go in on this on Twitter, it better be part of your show tomorrow or I will call shenanigans on this very matter. Now, from the quarterback of the past to, to the quarterback of the, the current and potential future, uh, ESPN was running down their list of most and least for NFL quarterbacks and under least aggressive. So they're talking about traits for quarterbacks under least aggressive. Dead Carolina's Teddy Bridgewater, formerly in New Orleans, ranked as the least aggressive quarterback in the NFL. Josh, is this a good thing, bad thing, or is it nothing? It's it's not a bad thing. It, it's I wouldn't say it's nothing altogether. I think it can be a good thing. It just depends on the situation that you're in, you know. Because if you look at the the guys on either one of these lists, like look at the guys who are on the most aggressive list, right? You think about the NFL. You think you want to have the big, strong arm quarterback who takes shots down the field, and gets chunk plays, forty yard gains, highlight reel plays. There are certainly some of those guys who are great. Aaron Rodgers was on this list number one. Aaron Rodgers last year was. Fine. He wasn't vintage Aaron Rodgers, but the Packers won 13 games. Number two on the list was Ryan Fitzpatrick. Number three was Russell Wilson. Number four was Josh Allen. You know, number five was Matthew Stafford. Number six was Ryan Tannehill. Seven was Wentz. Eight was Darnold. You know, so the, the, the point is, is that even the most aggressive quarterbacks being aggressive doesn't automatically translate to being a great player or having a great offense. And on the flip side of that coin, being a less aggressive quarterback depending on the system can be a good thing or a bad thing. If you're Case Keenum and you're in Washington and you're number two on this list, it's a bad thing. You don't have a great defense. You don't have a ton of weapons who are great after the catch. You don't have a great run game. They had an abysmal run game last season. So you're going to be bad. But if you're Teddy Bridgewater and you have Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas and a defense that's top five in the NFL and a great head coach, you don't have to be aggressive and you can win. You know, other guys who were on this list that were good, Jimmy Garoppolo got to a Super Bowl, had a heck of a year last year. Drew Brees was very good last season. He was in the top 10. Tom Brady wasn't the same Tom Brady we've seen before, but that was still an organization and a Patriots that won the division and, and uh, was a top four seed in the AFC. So there are teams who are, can be good with quarterbacks who don't necessarily have to cannon the ball downfield, just as there are teams that can be good that, with quarterbacks who do. It's all about the system you're in and the talent you're surrounded by. Yeah, it's a thing. And I think it could be a bad thing for Carolina. Something that, that I've talked about, I know uh, th that people who have talked about Teddy, that we've brought on as guests who have followed him in either Minnesota or New Orleans have said this. One of the things with Teddy is that, you know, it was something that they kept asking him to do is to get out of his comfort zone. His comfort zone is not throwing the ball down the field. He hasn't been asked to do it. It's also not something that it, it's something that he has to, to, to basically do more of and he has to get more comfortable with if we go into what is surrounding him i, I think the panthers are going to have to have teddy bridgewater throw the he's going to have to be a lot more aggressive this year because they don't have a very good offense or they don't have a very good defense it might end up being one of the three worst defenses in the nfl they don't have on paper a very good offensive line which is going to complicate this as well and while they have weapons around him and they're all very good weapons. It's He's also got a first-time uh, head coach in the NFL. He's also got a first-time play caller as the offensive coordinator. Despite the system we all love, I, I, think, I think there's a good chance that his lack of aggression could be a bad thing this year. And if it's not... Meaning that if he if he isn't as uh, or if he's more aggressive, then I think 
that that stands to reason that that Teddy can prove if if he shows he can be more aggressive. I think Teddy can prove he can be more than just a stopgap quarterback. Yeah, I think it can be a good thing, and I love the marriage of Bridgewater with the play caller in Brady, and I love especially the marriage of Bridgewater with the the weapons that they have. You know, I think about San Francisco and the way that they built that offense. So it's built on a, a tremendous run game with a great offensive line and a lot of misdirection and confusion that they create, which is Kyle Shanahan. He's a great play caller, and I, I've never seen Luke Keekley more confused on a football field than I did last year when he was trying to get to the Panthers defense in position against San Francisco. They obliterated the Panthers last season. Um, So Kyle Shanahan is a big reason why they succeed, but I look at the personnel that they have. Emmanuel Sanders, when he was added midway through the season, Sanders is not a big play 40 yard down the field type receiver. Sanders is a, is a slot type receiver an underneath intermediate route wide receiver who makes yards after the catch. That's been his strength. Now he's not in his prime even last year, but that's not been his strength. Uh, Debo Samuel, who became a big factor in that offense later on in the season. Debo Samuel is a guy similar to Curtis Samuel. He's got a lot of speed, not the biggest, most physical, strong wide receiver in the game that you're going to take on one-on-one coverage and deep balls and, and take your chances. But a guy that if you get the ball in his hands within five to 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, he, he can make stuff happen. Uh, they have George Kittle. The Panthers don't have anything close to a George Kittle, but George Kittle is that guy that can in the middle of the field is going to win one-on-one battles against linebackers and safeties a lot because he's the best tight end, I believe, in the NFL. That's the one thing the Panthers don't have. But I look at Bridgewater... And the offensive line and the defense, but yes. Right. Well, yes. Okay, so exactly. The point that I'm getting to is that Bridgewater this year in this offense... where they could struggle or where he could struggle is if the Panthers get behind in games and in the second half, they feel like they have to open up the offense and they have to score more quickly and take more chances because they're down 14 points, 17 points, and they've got to score, you know, in drives that don't take six and seven minutes. But I do think that the Panthers, if Joe Brady comes in and is always cracked up to be, they can have success in the run game. And I think with DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel and, and McCaffrey, they've got, and Robbie Anderson, who's a little bit different, but with, the other guys, they've got the, the types of players whose skills fit with Bridgewater. So that fact that he's not super aggressive, that's okay because the receivers they have don't necessarily need a quarterback who's aggressive. The problem's going to come on the defensive side if they give up a ton of points and the Panthers are playing catch-up. Then all of a sudden you're going to have to see Bridgewater take more chances down the field, which doesn't really fit the strengths of the receivers or the quarterback. I have a feeling that if Teddy Bridgewater is atop this list again, next year as the the least aggressive quarterback in the NFL or even top three, I would have a feeling that it much like it's very close to meaning that we're going to have a different quarterback of the future, at least for the Carolina Panthers. He'll still be on the roster, I think, just because of cap-wise and the way they've set this up. But if he's least aggressive, it either means that there are pieces around here that, we, that are going to overperform and the Panthers are going to be really good, or... It means that he didn't throw down the field as, or, or wasn't as successful throwing down the field as is likely and just didn't come out of his shell throwing down the field the way I think he's going to need to this year. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, least aggressive quarterback in the NFL. Is that a good thing, bad thing, or nothing at all? Matt Rule's input and impact continue to be felt on the show next on Sports Radio FNZ.